Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Welcome, Temple family and friends. Uh, we welcome you to another week here at Temple Talk. As always, I am your host, Tuck Cho, joined by the wonderful Bennett Holloway. Bennett, how are you doing? For <laughs> I like your adjective there. That's very <laughs> sweet, very gracious. Uh, I'm doing well. Excited for uh, Christmas is in the air, Tuck. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. And as we're stepping into December now at our church, as we're fixing our eyes on the manger, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy all the things that surround this season at our church uh, and in our lives and at our home. And so it's one that's built full of memories, and we're establishing some as a family. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a great season, and it's a great day to be alive. How are you doing? We're doing really well. Um, we are getting over a little bit of sickness in our house, um, but we have, we have our tree up. We have people around us, and we are getting close to the end of uh, work for a few weeks, which is very exciting. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> end the year strong. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday, uh, Dr. Ewart walked us through what he called the fullness of time, the perfect plan, and he was building us up to see how Jesus' birth came at the exact right time to fulfill a lot of different things, to move us forwards into um, into this, this sovereign orchestration of history, to prepare the way for, for Christ and for all the things that we do. Um, so I know that you had, you had a few notes from this. What were some of the things that were your favorite parts about this? I know there's so many, so many things about this. But. Yeah, so this topic in general is one that always excites me. I end up leaning a little more towards my geeky side when it comes to uh, <laughs> As study. always. Yeah, when it comes to studying um, the fact that Christ stepped down mm-hmm. and why this event that took place means so much more than recognizing a baby in a manger. And so it's been a lot of fun, not only to study this in my own life, but also to begin uh, sharing with my kids more and more about the awesomeness, how it generates awe in seeing all the things that took place, not just the coming of a baby. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus being both man and God and being born of Mary. uh, And so it quite literally was his perfect plan. And so uh, we see in Scripture that uh, before the beginning of time, we knew that in this conversation that Calvary was inevitable. We see that uh, in that message, we see that Jesus, uh, before he was actually born, we get this context in the book of Hebrews of Jesus explaining a comprehension and understood destination of a broken body and a sacrifice for his people the day before he was born, Dr. Ewart described. On Christmas Eve, he had this conversation, and then we see him coming. And so if, if I could just summarize the first portion um, uh, of the message, it's God's plan was perfect uh, prophetically, historically, linguistically, philosophically, intellectually, physically, and spiritually. 
And some of them uh, are, are incredible. And I strongly encourage, if you haven't listened to his message, to go back and listen to it. Um, some of the standouts for me that I've always thought uh, are so exciting and fun. And I'll probably sit just a little bit on these. Um, I'll be a little bit more long-winded uh, just because I, I think it's such an interesting um, bit of information that we all can know. So God's plan was perfect. Um, and so this in the fullness of time passage, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read out of the NASB, um, but it's in Galatians 4, 4. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, so sitting there, and he's walking through um, these, the, these seven criteria that he used to describe the plan of God as absolutely perfect. So to describe when the fullness of time came, the perfect moment out of all of eternity where, where Jesus Christ would step down and, and be born of, of Mary, uh, he described it. And the first one he goes with is prophetically. And I like this one because prophetically it almost is, it, it, it is exemplifying um, the, the divine sovereignty of God. I think historically, linguistically, philosophically, intellectually, um, physically, some of these um, that you, one could say were circumstantial, but, but, but this one in particular, it is so complex. The number of variables that were required for it to be perfect in the fullness of time, uh, it's it's almost immeasurable, and I want to I want to I want to try to describe that. Okay, you ready? So we we learned that there's over um, 300 prophecies of Jesus's first coming that we see were were perfectly fulfilled. And let's just let's just take uh, and the way that we go about this is let's take all um, let's take all the ones that we could that. Uh, I guess you would describe them as things that weren't in Jesus's power mm -hmm. to accomplish, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. So anything that came around Jesus that were fulfilled of him in um, prophecies from the Old Testament, if we whittled it down to just these eight, I'm going to list eight out, and then we're going to talk about the statistical probability of the timing for everything to be exactly as prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years earlier in the Bible. So one, uh, Micah 5.2, uh, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So Jesus didn't have control over where he was born, okay? Right. So th that's one of them. Number two, um, Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. When Jesus came, he was inevitably betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He didn't have control over how much Judas would be betraying him for. Uh, three, the Messiah's clothes were gambled away. Psalm, Psalms 22, 18. Four, the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Psalms 22, 16. Uh, the next one is uh, number five. The Messiah's bones would be broken. Psalms 34, 20. The next one's uh, six. The Messiah would be born into the tribe of Judah. 
and that's Isaiah 37, 31. The next one's Hosea 11, 1. He would, he would be called, the Messiah would be called from Egypt, paralleling the story of Moses, right? And then number eight, uh, that's in Hosea 11, 1. And then number eight, the Messiah, uh, the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. That's Isaiah 53, 9. So when you look at all the prophecies of Jesus Christ described in the Old Testament, and you just take these, and these are ones that really weren't in his control. Him riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. that was prophesied. Um, but he, he chose to sit on a donkey. So one could argue um, that he, let's say, if you're a pessimist um, uh, or you were being critical and trying to disprove um, prophecies, let's take all the ones out that really he had a lot of control over. Let's just use the ones that people did to him or the ones that had to do with his birth or where he was buried when he was dead. Right. If you take these eight, right, out of the 300, let's just whittle, let's say those are the only eight that were fulfilled. Um, the odds of all eight of these coming true uh, are, are ridiculous. And let me, let me give it to you in a, um, a way that I guess is a visual. So if you take the entire state of Texas, all right, and it and you fill it with 100 trillion silver dollars. That is the entire footprint of Texas, two feet deep. Okay. okay. And you take one of those silver dollars and mark it, throw it into the state of Texas, and stir that bad boy up. Ready? Then you take Tuck, put him in a blindfold, and tell him to walk the state of Texas. Whenever he feels ready, bend over, pick up a one silver dollar, And the probability that he would pick up that one marked silver dollar out of the entire state of Texas, filled two feet deep after being completely stirred, is the same probability of Jesus, someone being born in the fullness of time, accomplishing these eight things that took these eight prophecies that were written about him beforehand. All eight of these alone. Let alone the other 300 Mm -hmm. that were being discussed, right? And so God's plan was perfect. Just prophetically, let's lead into a moment of salvation. Like that, it's like that is that real to me? It that right there is is as a clear indication, and it's almost affirming to me of his sovereignty and his rule and his reign. And so, when we look at his perfect plan in the fullness of time, there was a moment that had to take place where they were waiting and waiting. Almost the this described as the 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 uh, the the angels we're waiting with bated breath and anticipation of the moment that Jesus Christ would step down. And so um, just to put that in your mind uh, as, as an illustration of statistical probability on the prophecies of just eight of them, of Jesus Christ, um, and some of them having to do specifically with his birth, uh, it was perfect, and it was at the fullness of time. And then going through the others, just Historically, in terms of wars, linguistically, in terms of language, philosophically, in terms of people asking the questions, who am I? What is my purpose? People beginning to think for themselves. Intellectually, because of the way that they taught and disseminated knowledge, uh, you'll see Paul and um, teachers, uh, the apostles, really benefiting off of the back of that infrastructure of education, town squares. Um, And you'll see a lot of the churches that Paul establishes are right there by um, the education centers um, of the modern world. And then uh, physically, the, 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 my favorite part of that is the roads. Um, there was no connection physically uh, until Rome got to that point in the history of mankind. And so that was the moment that he came. And so 
uh, walking through all of those, and you need to listen to the message. Um, but these things are the very things that just stir me up whenever we sit and contemplate that phrase. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. And so, man, his plan was perfect. And, uh, and I think what that brings me to is this, this understood sovereignty of the creator uh, as really Dr. Ewart began to handle that passage in Galatians 4. Um, but that was some of the big takeaways that I had mm-hmm. in his message, at least in the upfront portion. Yeah, it's amazing how, how much contextually that small phrase has yeah. built into it. Um, and I think it, it speaks to the glory of God, as you were saying, um, when we really dig into the historical context of the book that we have that's known as the Bible, to be able to see even just in this one thing how, like you were saying, the uh, the implications of Rome and, and how they had built an infrastructure, the, the way that their education and, and knowledge systems were set up, we can, as we dive into what we see in the Bible, you know, a lot of times we separate education versus biblical learning. Mm. But for them, it was one and the same. It was a concept that they could research and delve into with their, in the Old Testament. And what Paul and some of these other disciples were bringing them were ideas that they had never heard of put together in a way that was brand new. They had read, I mean, they were scholars of the Old Testament as I think we should be too, because when we have that knowledge, it makes the New Testament, makes Jesus that much more fulfilling and interesting, even, you know, just in these eight passages that we're seeing um, that really just can explode your brain. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that it's beautiful to see, and this is where I'm, I'm passionate about when, when I begin to understand and rightly see God for who he is and what he's done, it actually shifts my perspective of all things are through that biblical worldview of understanding. Mm-hmm. And so education for me, uh, it is directly in line, supported, affirmed, um, and uh, displayed in Scripture, but also through a biblical understanding of Scripture. I think in, in, in every context of learning. I think that's interpersonally. I think that's individually. And I think that's academically. I think across the board, um, whenever I study scriptures, it stirs me up because when I study things of the world, it always draws me back to the word. Mm-hmm. And so that's something for me personally, that's incredibly encouraging. And and I know that even here at, at TCA and our weekday preschool programs, uh, we're constantly driving forward this understood reality of who God is, what he's done, how he sees you, what's available, and what's in store for you as an individual in your personal relationship with him. And so it's a blessing to get to be a part of a church that really gets to see that. And this this part of the year, too, mm-hmm. really worship that and celebrate that as uh, as a people that worship Jesus Christ as Savior. Yeah, I think people in this day and age have lost so much of that understanding of a biblical worldview where your knowledge of the Bible and who God is ultimately should shape who you are instead of having it be two separate things in your life. Like compartmentalized. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I'm with you. I'm with you right there. And I think that the way I know that the way that we overcome that is through surrender and study of his word. Most of the time, that's a byproduct of a lack of understanding of the power of his word, the inerrancy of his word, the sovereignty of the creator. And when we can get to a point of acknowledging and owning the fact that we've compartmentalized ourselves, whether that's to justify sin or out of fear and a lack of faith or out of indifference towards studying the word, once we can be, I guess, honest enough with ourselves and with the Lord, then we can start making a pathway forward on establishing a biblical worldview that actually defines what we see Mm -hmm. in the physical because truth is what's unseen. Truth quite literally is the spiritual. And so when we can kind of turn things upside down and see things through that lens, one, the byproduct oftentimes is peace, that's surrender, and it is... uh, it's a beautiful thing when we get to see the Lord show himself through all the things that we've read in Scripture and what we're going through in this season of life. So let's dive a little bit uh, now more specific to who Jesus is, this this incarnation of him. Um, and I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit because okay. I think you can take it. So we see in the birth of Jesus that he is fully divine. He's taking on human flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that he identifies now completely with humanity because he is 100% human, but right. he's doing it without sin. And we see now that this part of the creator is now part of his own creation. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, um, besides you know some of the details of how does that work, because it's hard for us to understand that, my question is, was God lacking in that understanding before he took on that role? So your your question is was Jesus was or God, God the Father? Yeah, was God the God the God the triune God? Right. Okay. Was he lacking in some way of the knowledge of what it was to be human before he was human? No. So Jesus Christ stepping down wasn't so that he can better understand us. It was so that we can be confident mm-hmm. in him and we can relate with him. So as a, as, a, him. as that example of flesh up the word became flesh, right? We got to see Jesus who was tempted in all things that we're tempted with and yet did not sin. And so we get a display, a fulfillment of the very will of God lived out on this earth in perfection. And so not only do we, are we told by his word, or is it revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, but we're also, it's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit in observation of Jesus Christ, whom was empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing everything the Father commanded him to do. Mm-hmm. And so God is never lacking. God does not need any, he is all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing, and yet he chose, which almost even more beautifully describes why he, because he didn't need to, Mm -hmm. but he desired to, because we couldn't do the very thing that was needed to overcome the thing that was done by Adam and Eve in the first place. 
Because So he became that perfect sacrifice. He who did not know sin became sin so that we may experience that propitiation for the sin and have an opportunity to experience his grace and his mercy out of a deep, deep sense of love that we'll never understand. He loved us. And that's the place that we get the source of even loving him for. And so did he need to come down because of a lack of understanding? No, I wouldn't articulate it that way. But the consequences of him coming are really for all of us observing. Mm -hmm. That's how I think I would describe that. So I know at, at Christmas time we often romanticize the the nativity scene, right? Yes. We see them in the front yards, um, my on wife, the rooftops. <laughs> my wife sent me minimalistic um, nativity scenes where there's just you know plain blocks, and you know exactly what it is because you can tell. Yeah. Um, but he talked about how the incarnation is so much more important: the birth, the right. the God becoming flesh. But I think that's difficult for us to wrap our heads around. How can we become more, you know, to be able to see this and hold on to that? And can we make a minimalistic scene that we can put on our front yards of this incarnation to, to be spreading that uh, <laughs> to, to our neighbors, to our friends? How can we focus on that instead of, you know, Jesus as a baby? So... A couple things that I would encourage someone towards as they're thinking through worshiping Jesus Christ or even acknowledging him in this season, because I think that's culture, ultimately what culture, I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, culture about... will point us towards, hey, it's a birthday party, right? right, and, right. And, and even for our children, that's that's a degree of, that's, a, that's the beginning point of excitement, because in Easter, we acknowledge that really it's his funeral and resurrection, right? And so... Having to have been born is a good introduction, um, but the way that I would challenge people to think through it, I guess, is I would ask them a, a series of questions that would lead them down the road of hopefully understanding more deeply the significance of Emmanuel, mm -hmm. of God being with us. And so the first thing I would ask is, is who is Jesus to you? Instead of looking at maybe a snapshot of this moment or the season or this manger or the scene, I would ask the question of who is Jesus to you? And the, the world will paint him many different things. And mm -hmm. even Dr. Ewart, and I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, is he's, he's either um, he's either uh, a lord, a liar, yeah, a I, lunatic, I, I, I or a legend. Yeah, I was going re, to reorder them because <laughs> I, I like that he's either a liar a lunatic or Lord, mm -hmm. like those uh, those three were from C.S. Lewis, and so it's like, man, he was either he was either completely incorrect, and he knew it, and he was trying to get power, mm -hmm. um, even though he got nothing but the cross, <laughs> right? And then the same thing for the apostles; all they got was brutal deaths. He was either lying completely, um, or he was absolutely crazy, or he really was who he said he was. And what's interesting about the lunatic concept is I would, I would actually believe that if uh, when you can look at an individual. But you, when you look at the consequences immediately following the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, then the persecution of the church, 
this, this idea that not only, okay, Jesus was a lunatic, but then all of his disciples became lunatics to his level, mm-hmm. and then the other, the church all became lunatics. So it's almost like it would be very difficult to completely brainwash hundreds and thousands of people that were being killed for professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, man, that, that becomes increasingly difficult to even contemplate. And so when I sit there and think of liars and lunatics, both of them disqualify each other because most people lie for gain, and they gained nothing. (laughs) They gained death, painful death and persecution. Or they're a little bit crazy, but how, how, or really crazy, but that inevitably, that, that charade would end. People would wake up to the reality of, of this isn't true, and, and there would inevitably be someone, right, someone to say, wait, he's not it. And so when we look at that, uh, the only one I, and the one I wholeheartedly believe is he's Lord. And so for you, I'd ask, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then the next thing I would ask is, who's God? Who is God? Is he the creator? And because if we believe that it's God in flesh, if we believe in in Galatians chapter 4, that God sent forth his son, if we believe John 3, if we believe the word of God, really, that's what I'm getting at, is if you believe the, the authority um, and the perfection of the word of God, then you get to believe that Jesus Christ was both fully man and fully God. Mm-hmm. Because that passage right there that he was sent forth his son, divine nature, okay? Sent forth his son, born of a woman, human nature. Also, born under the law. Okay, so we see his humanity in this verse, and we also see his divinity in this passage. And so, thinking through who Jesus is, why God sent him, the fact that he was both born of a woman, but sent by his father, and understanding the price that was paid, the propitiation of the sin that we deal with, ultimately leads to us, uh, leads us to salvation is only available through receiving, surrendering the grace that Jesus Christ has made available to you and me for the sins of the world, for our sins as individuals. And so confessing with our mouth, believing in our hearts, the story of Jesus Christ, but also surrendering lordship to him, living by his word, executing and pursuing these seven virtues, these byproducts of being a kingdom seeker. And and these things are the consequences of Emmanuel God with us and the freedom and the deliverance from from the, the impact of sin and the consequences of sin spiritually in our lives. I mean, all of these things are made available um, through Christ so that we may have a relationship and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and spend all of eternity in his presence and live in a way that's in pursuit of Christ's likeness. That's only by his power and for his glory. And so when we understand that, because in order to experience salvation, you have to believe that it was God sent right and then but but to understand the hope of this this difficult lost world the fact that he was man was a key component of the propitiation 
So the blood that was shed, it could, he couldn't just be God. He had to be God and man mm-hmm. because he took my place. He took what I deserved. He reaped the consequences of my sin. And yet his, he was spotless. He was blameless. He was perfect. And he was divine. And so that's how it can reshape, hopefully, for you and for me, this idea of it's not just a birthday. It is, right? It is, but it's not just a birthday. It's so much more than that. And the consequences are eternal. Mm-hmm. Practically speaking, how do, we, how do we demonstrate that? And I'm thinking specifically like for our children. How do I get them from, you know, this is a time of Santa um, and gifts and things like that. How can we, how can we practically um, demonstrate that and, and develop in them a time that we're moving away from that birthday party, that Santa mentality towards a Jesus, a God, a focus on the eternal. Yeah, just just to give you an encouragement. Um, so my kids' ages right now, some of them are really young, and some are, I mean they're eight through three right now. And so for us, we do still we bake a cake yeah. on Christmas Day morning, and so we do bake it. Um, we don't do as much of uh, the Santa stuff, honestly. Uh, we don't do that. But we do celebrate the birthday of Jesus Christ because it drives us back to the narrative of the purpose of this. The night before, we even do a little like we've started doing this a little family candlelight. Actually, came out of COVID. Mm. Um, we started doing this little candlelight service in our home where all the kids and we sing carols before we go to bed uh, about who He is and what He's done, and we read the Christmas story, mm-hmm. um, the actual birth of Christ in in our Bible, and so. We, we, we've established these traditions, but every single one of them are centered around Christ. So I would strongly encourage, one, anytime we're wanting to replicate or teach or emphasize anything in the lives of our children at a young age, we have to accept and prioritize those in our own lives. <laughs> in our own, yeah. Right? And so if, if my number one priority is all the stuff and all the presents and not the giving or the sacrificial disposition of the season or the season of thanksgiving and gratitude of the sending of his son. Um, and all of a sudden, I just try at the very end, oh, but it's also about Jesus. Then that's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult transfer, tell. right? And so if, if we keep uh, the main thing, the main thing personally, even in our marriage, uh, even in the season, because it can it can be easy to get wrapped up in all the other stuff, mm-hmm. right, or get distracted, then I think it's a little bit easier to teach our kids. And so let's say let's say you don't start this at a young age. Let's say you got early teens. Let's just say that. Like, man, I really want to correctly prioritize Christmas. I haven't done it in the first 10 years of their life, 13 years of their life. I'd like to start now. Um, the word of encouragement to you is there is no better time to start than today. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no better time to start anything than today. Start it now. If you feel uh, a conviction or a leading by the Holy Spirit, man, I want to better prioritize the worldview, and I want to contribute to the shaping of the worldview of my child from the context of Scripture, not from the context of culture. Then the way you start is today. And so I would intentionally build towards uh, Christmas. I would read Scripture. I would be praying for it. And I would make everything generosity-focused, outwardly-focused. Because if we can begin teaching our children and ourselves at a young age about the significance of giving a gift, of, of sharing our joy, of thinking about the needs of other people, then it's an easier connection 
to the disposition of the Father in the sending of his Son and the willingness and acknowledgement of Jesus Christ expecting Calvary when he came. I think that's a key. And so it'll be much easier to connect those dots in the next generation or even in our family, Mm. regardless of age, if that priority is more than just a moment or a day, but in this season that is a natural overflow of Thanksgiving and November into an outward-focused generosity in December. And I want to echo what you said, that there's no better time than than right now. Um, I was reading a book a few months ago, and it was about family worship. And there was a point that he made, the author made, that said this is specifically towards men. We have this um, kind of inherently built in us, this this effort to not be wrong. And when we are wrong, that difficulty that we have in correcting that. And he said, if you are a family that does not do family worship, it's sometimes hard to start because in starting, you're kind of admitting acknowledging, to, acknowledging yep. to your wife, to your family, uh, to your children that I've we haven't been doing this and we right. need to be. Um, but I would encourage you that sometimes all it takes is just having that conversation, bringing it up once, especially with with the spouse and saying, I'd like us to do this a little bit differently. Most of the time, that spouse that has that same mindset with you, or at least are close enough to say, sure, we'll give it a try. And, and you can turn that around. You can make something better. You can start today. There's a, there's a discipline that I think is biblical that would be used to describe this. It's called repentance, <laughs> right? And so if we can get to the point to where we're comfortable even repenting mm-hmm. and acknowledging that we've changed the way that we see or are thinking about this topic, right? Um, and it may, be, it may not be the point to where you're sinning, right. but if you're misprioritizing and coming to the point to being willing and humble enough to say, we used to see it this way, but we're going to change things and prioritize it this way. This is a discipline that not only we need privately, but if displayed from the top down, especially through the Father, it is a teaching lesson to the children about one acknowledging when things weren't be doing, haven't been done right and making a shift and a change. But also, it'll open up opportunities to have that same dialogue about things of sin. Mm-hmm. And so weaving that repentance concept in everything we do, um, it's a key. It's a key of what you're describing. Yeah, and, and for our children to be able to see that we can acknowledge uh, a mistake that we've made and f- correct it gives them permission to do, to do that for themselves and then also to acknowledge it to us as well. Speaking of children, um, you know, one of the big things that comes out of this is that we are adopted as heirs, as sons and daughters to Christ, and it gives us that that difference of a life. Um, you know, he differentiates that we were we were slaves to sin, and we are now sons and daughters of God. Um, how does that look in our lives? The the difference between our roles. The way that I would describe it is is the significant impact of coming from dead to alive. The passage that I would gravitate towards there, and I think it describes and illustrates it again um, in a way that maybe is from a different angle, the same concept that we see as being adopted into uh, being a son or an heir. Uh, the other passage that I think is a great one to look at is in Ephesians chapter 2, and it starts in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see in Galatians chapter 4, that parallel concept we see in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So it says that that in chapter 4, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born of the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, right? The law brings death, right? Because we're incapable of measuring up to it. You break one, you ruin it all, you deserve death. The consequences of sin is death. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so we see this parallel concept of being an heir to the throne, being adopted as children, as sons and daughters of the king. In Ephesians, we're lifted and we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That description that we see of Jesus at the end, post-resurrection, post-ascension, is all things are placed beneath his feet. He, rule, he rules and he reigns and he intercedes on behalf of us from a position of absolute sovereignty absolute authority, the name above all names, right? Jesus is there. It says we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are heirs in both Galatians and Ephesians. We are heirs. What does this mean? What does this birthright mean? What are the consequences of being born again, of being spiritually reborn, and now adopted as children of God, our Abba Father? And this is, this is just what is absolutely crazy to me is that God loves messed up Bennett so much that it was out of that love that he came in pursuit of adopting me. And not only that, but even if that was the only thing he did, I probably still, I definitely would not have still chosen him, but he, the Holy Spirit had to draw me unto saving knowledge because I was dead and now I'm made alive by Christ. And so when we're balancing these two passages of Galatians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 2, we're seeing this building block of an eternal understanding of God's glory in his redemption process, all because of his love of his creation that doesn't deserve it, it's unmerited, it is grace in its purest form, sending his son. And so when I think through Easter, when I think through the resurrection, when I think through my own salvation, when I pray for the salvation of children, when I pray for the salvation of my neighbors, when I pray for salvation of those I come across with that do not yet know the hope that is available, these are the things that just remind me of the absolute excitement and the honor that it is for me to be a son mm-hmm. of the king. And that's so contradictory to one, the schemes of the enemy and the narrative of the culture, right? It's, it's contradictory to the things that I'm inundated with majority of my time outside the walls of this church and, and majority of my time in the walls of my own brain, right? And so I'm inundated with these things that are contradictory to I'm a child of the king. I've been pursued and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He stepped down 
onto earth, was born of a woman, lived a perfect life and endured all temptation that I fail at day in and day out. And yet he chose Calvary. He chose the cross. He was crucified and buried. And then he overcame death itself. The only thing that, I mean, we, none of us, none of us are going to be capable of overcoming death. But Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, experienced the thing that none of us can avoid and also provided the very solution through his display and the hope of resurrection in our own lives mm -hmm. eternally in his presence for all of time. And so the fact that I'm a son, I'm an heir to the throne, that just, it is the hope. It is pivoted around Calvary. It is initiated through the sending of a son, Emmanuel, God with us. And it is, it is the focus for me of this season. It is the driving emphasis of our home and in our church. And so that's, that's, that's what's so interesting about where we find ourselves contextually at Temple. In New Bern, in this season, in the United States, 2023, what we're looking at is it right now there is a pathway of least resistance to the only thing that can heal save and provide a culture that is hungry, that is starving, that is sick, and is dead. But it's the gospel. And it, it's, they, they, they want it. They may not know that this is what they need, but they are much less defensive and willing to even get a taste, to try, to attend, to be receptive of our conversation, about the birth of Jesus. So what's interesting here is as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ at Temple, we make Jesus known, right? This is one of the virtues that we do. We make Jesus known. We, we live by the Bible. We make Jesus known, and we pray continually. And so one of the things that I would challenge every listener to is just to pray without ceasing over a person in their life that they know doesn't have salvation, has not yet been adopted, or they don't know if they are or not, that is in their current realm of influence, right? We don't got to go crazy here and go hit the streets with posters. Just your current existing realm of influence. Do you know where everyone's destined? And if you don't, pray for a burden to strike up that dialogue and invite them to church. Invite them to a service. And then when you invite them to a service, key next step. Ask them questions about the content that was discussed. Jump on Temple Talk and listen to the, the podcast episode after that sermon and pontificate a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he's done. And pray that the Holy Spirit uses these conversations. Your job doesn't end when they go to church mm -hmm. because they went there out of invitation by you. And so the Lord's going to continue to use this dialogue and conversation as it transfers into hopefully life-transforming decisions that the Holy Spirit, one, enables, but that they respond to by invitation of the gospel. Yeah, for many people, this is the one time that they will go to church. This is it. They they don't know anything else. They may not have a place that they go each year, nope. um, or at least may be easy enough to change if they're going with somebody. Yep. But this is the time that they will go, and you can be a part of that by reaching out and actually saying something. 
That's right. So it's a, it's an it's an easier invite. Mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter. It's an easier invite, and uh, there's a lot of nostalgia around Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good memories of time with family or ones that maybe don't live anymore that passed away, and so it's a beautiful. People are more willing to engage in things that stir up those good memories, but also recognize it's a season where people may be struggling. Mm-hmm. So the exact same uh, hope is available in both camps, right? One of them is they're lost and they're missing it. And there's things of this season that bring good memories to mind. And so they're willing to entertain it. Ah, they're, they're less defensive. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is they've gone through death. Someone that they know has passed. Maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've gone through a diagnosis. Something has happened around this season that has led to it being more difficult. Something has happened in their life where this is the first Christmas that maybe they don't have a certain person sitting around the tree with them or sitting with them at church or sitting with them at the dinner table. And so the very hope that comes because of salvation and the joy of Emmanuel, the very hope that comes from this also meets the needs of this dark season and this difficult time in the lives of people. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel, Tuck. That's what it quite simply is the answer to everything. Every single thing. And so my prayer is that we are a church, we are a people uh, that are unapologetic, that are intentional in how we do it, that are prayed up and anointed to do it, but we're unapologetic in the pursuit of making Jesus known. And we seize opportunities that the Lord puts in our path. We do not waste people that he's put in our realm of influence, in our workplace, in our friend group, in our home. And we allow Jesus to speak through us as we care for people and share the gospel. And the same God that had a thousand-year plan for bringing Jesus into this world is the same God that has a plan that, unbeknownst to us, has been working in the background, maybe softening a heart, getting us ready to get to a place, whether it is at this church, at that spot in our job, at that place in our family, that can then bring about a salvation in a person as well. Yeah, I think I think it, it'll shift our perspective if we actually allow the sovereignty of God to play a role in our mundane mm-hmm. Monday. So if God is sovereign, okay, and if God truly did send his son into this world, um, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, John 3, 17, if we, if we believe him and take him at his word— and also by his example, if we've experienced salvation itself and are benefactors of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, if we've, if we've received the joy, hope, and peace that comes from saving knowledge and also the humility that comes from a need to repentance and be saved in the first place, right? If we are if we're a benefactor of all these things combined, then we have to understand that there are such a thing as divine appointments that that talk where you are in every single moment, if stewarded rightly, it could possibly be exactly where God wants you to be. And every person that you speak to, 
every relationship that you have, every trial that you go through, every trial that you grow through, each of these can be divinely appointed in opportunities that not only display the goodness of who God is, but also allow you the opportunity to see God be glorified by his power through his sovereignty, through an empty, broken vessel such as yourself. And so if we, if we maybe, oh, let's take him for it. Let's try it, right? And we assume tomorrow, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, 100th person you talk to, God intentionally wanted to cross your path. How do we steward it? How are we encouraging? How are we elevating? How are we allowing Jesus to speak through us into the lives of the people that we see day in and day out? I think things would look very different in our community, in our culture, in our country, and in the world if we lived through that worldview of Emmanuel, God with us, he came. And if we live as he lived, if we pursue as he pursued, if we love as he loved, the way we've been loved, I think we'll see something very different in an amazing way. Mm, Love it. Well, friends, that is all the time we have for this week's episode. I want to end on that note. Um, So I want to thank everyone for diving into God's perfect timing and his sovereign plan in sending Jesus with us. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Temple Talk. We love having these meaningful discussions with you. If you have any follow-up questions or want to connect further, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us at temple.church or you can email us at templetalk at temple.church. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoyed the show, the best way you can support us is by subscribing and leaving it a quick rating or a review. This helps other people to discover the podcast. And while you're at it, share it with a few friends. The word of mouth goes a long way. So thank you again for listening. We look forward to connecting next time. Until then, may the grace and peace of Christ be with you all. Happy December. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek Him in Scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk.